Fallow community, welcome to the podcast. For those of you who are new, our goal is to help you become more effective as a technical artist and as a human so that your church is more effective. And for those of you who aren't new, you know we just had the Philo Conference a couple weeks ago, and man, what a time it was. It was so good to be with people in the room and online. The combination of 1,200 people in person and 1,200 people online, it gave us the largest Philo Conference yet. And more than anything, God really showed up in some unexpected ways. And as technical artists, you understand how important it is to plan like crazy and nail down as many details as possible before a service starts. But then there's this moment where the Holy Spirit is prompting us to go in a different direction in a particular moment. And I'm so proud of the Philo Core team and our over 200 team members for adjusting the plans and following along with what God was up to. If you were there, you know the worship in session two was amazing. And what made it amazing was that Delwin, our worship leader, was very present in the moment and called us to go off the planning center plan, which, you know, as tech people, isn't really our favorite thing. But it was an incredible experience watching the whole team digging in and following along. And man, it was so incredible. And after the session, I told everyone that was at the conference, you know, that deviating from the plan was exactly the right thing to do. But also it's really important to have a solid plan A, so important. And we have to do both things well, be ready to deviate and have a plan A. And the beauty of the Philo team is that there's so much trust in each other that, yeah, we're ready to follow each other to wherever the Holy Spirit leads during a session. It was so wonderful to be a part of. I've probably talked about this before on the podcast, but I'm not a super emotional person unless I happen to be listening to a Winston Churchill speech that usually wrecks me pretty good. But the week of Philo had me having all the feels and real tears and stuff, which is not normal for me. Uh, Just was a testament to God showing up for me personally. And I know that he showed up for others that I talked to. And really, that's the whole reason we do the Philo Conference in the first place. We all need a reminder of where we fit into God's plan and that he loves us for who we are, not just for the tasks we accomplish for the church. And I've been praying for everyone who was there, myself included, that whatever God did in your hearts would last longer than normal, uh, longer than you expect. I know I want to hang on to everything, the emotions and the, the feelings and the things I learned. I want to hang on to those longer than just another week. And I can't wait for our next gathering to be together. And ah, if you're interested in joining us and seeing what Philo is all about, you can sign up for next year using the in-conference pricing through May 31st. So Philo 2023, May 2nd and 3rd, you can go to philo.org slash events, again, to get the cheapest price available ever. You know what? One of my favorite parts about the Philo Conference was bumping into people who I haven't seen in a while. And it was also amazing to see some of the Philo cohort alumni in person. You know, our Philo cohorts are currently all on Zoom. And so there are people that I knew, but I had never met them in person. We had sort of a cohort alumni reunion while we were at Philo and we just got to hang out together for a couple hours. I mean, I was super late, but the party was winding down. So I didn't get to experience the whole thing, but connecting with fellow technical artists who had similar challenges to me, so refreshing and life-giving. I mean, it was really a wonderful time. And one of the cohort alumni that was there is Alex Sawyer. And he's one of the original Philo cohort members and now one of our cohort leaders. Uh, we've been together a bunch on Zoom, but we got to see each other in real life at Philo. 
and he's the guest on our podcast today. He is the TD at Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, and we got to talk about what production looks like at a more liturgical church. And whether you're at a mega church or a smaller church, a modern or more traditional church, there's definitely something in this conversation that applies to all of us. So let's dive in. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Really happy yeah. to be here. Yeah, so we were talking uh, the other day and yeah, just something about your particular situation. We thought, hey, this would make a great conversation for a podcast. So yeah, here we are. And I want to say, yeah, just thinking about how we've met, mostly I would say we probably, we might have met before this, but we were in a Philo cohort together back maybe November of 2020. Mm-hmm. 2020, that sounds right. This is really right. how we met, yeah. Yeah, you were just in the cohort, not just, but in the cohort. And yeah, yeah over, over the course of the last year plus, we've yeah just had more opportunities to work together. So yeah. Do you have any memories beyond before that or? I remember going to the first, it was my first Philo was actually a Gurus of Tech in 2013. Oh, there we go. The thing that I remember about it most was, you know, Philo, you do the the birthday like gifts thing. I was like, cable wrapping contest, I can do that. Birthday, like I'm a shoe in, I was born and that's the day we're here. Okay. And <laughs> I, at the time, I missed it because I was like out on a phone call when it happened oh. and I walked back in and all the guys, because we had talked about it, they knew yeah. <laughs> that it was my birthday. They were like, oh, this is great. You'll win a thing. That's awesome. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I just walked back in. They were like, dude, you missed it. I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. How did I forget that? We've been talking about it like the whole ride up here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that was like my first uh, like Philo memory okay. way long ago. Yeah, wow, 2013. Yeah, that was our last year of doing the Gurus of Tech uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah, what a year that was. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, maybe yeah. we'll have to get you something for your birthday this year. We're like two weeks ahead of it this time. So I don't, one year it'll land at the right time. And I can say, I finally did it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm 68 years old, prize. but we finally yeah. did it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's good. So why don't you tell people a little bit about your story? Like, what do you do now? And then uh, maybe your story leading up to this point. Yeah. So currently I'm a tech director, production director at a church here in Richmond, Virginia. And the story to getting here was starting in middle school, our youth group. I said, I would love to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about what that is? And then my journey was, you know, you, they started you on lighting and then you got up to, I think it was Media Shout at the time. Then you finally got to the holy mm-hmm. grail of audio and I loved it. And then that was my middle school and high school experience. I, I was okay. learning technology at church and having fun. But then I, I started playing cello in sixth grade. And so my like love for music and technology started just combining together. And then at the same time, bouncing them out in different seasons throughout life. So that's like the, if you want to sum up my journey in a nutshell, it's like the intersection of music and technology or creativity and sure. technology. Okay. So that continued on through high school. And then I was trying to think of what I wanted to do for college and was thinking like, maybe I'll just go to some school for recording. We had already visited some schools in Nashville for like, you know, a six to nine month recording program. We were pretty stoked about that. I thought it was going to happen. And then God called me to a school in Virginia instead, where I actually studied worship leadership with a specialization in worship technology. Okay. Which was great. So I was getting to do music and learning some stuff from the worship leading side, which was great for volunteer development, theology, et cetera. But was also serving in a 
production capacity, I was basically a sound tech for our department. So okay. I was running rehearsals for all my friends, running programs for all of our friends, recitals, that kind of thing. It was very fun. It was one of the first times I got to experience being a special moments that we get in tech directors' lives. You know, we get weddings, we get plenty of funerals. But right, here right. I was getting to go to like songwriting recitals, which were super cool because it was just story and song, story and song, and okay. different graduations and stuff. And so there was just some really sweet moments in there being an audio person with all my friends doing music. is very sure. cool. That is um, cool. Post-college, I did some internship stuff where I really got into motion graphics and video because they were like, hey, we've got a copy of After Effects and you can do whatever <laughs> you want here. And I was like, can I make some sermon bumpers? And I had a ton of fun doing that. They let me have maybe more creativity, like freedom than they probably okay. should have let me, but it was just a great place to just say like, I'm free from college. I have nothing going on in my life. Like I'm just going to go deep on something. Uh-huh. And that was fun to do. After maybe six or nine months, I came back home to Richmond after kind of wrestling. Should I stay or should I come back here? Got some opportunities uh-huh. here. Basically did a year or two of freelance. And then in around 2015, I joined the staff at my church in a kind of a part-time role, very um, ambiguous. I was our first tech director. So it was like, here's what we want you to do. And I was like, that's not really what we do or I do, but we'll get there. And so that's kind of faded yeah. into full time and, and is much more of the traditional production director role to this day. So I've been there Got for it. about six years at this point. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And uh, you're also married and a uh, new baby at home, right? Too. Yeah. Yeah, that's been a ton of fun. The baby thing has been complicated in this past season. He's about five and a half months now. So that's probably a podcast for another time. But yeah, I've got, I'm married yeah. and we've got our first son thus far, you know, see what happens in the future. Yeah, COVID baby. That would be the name of the podcast. Uh, baby, having yeah. a baby during COVID. That'd have to be a separate podcast because it'd probably be mostly counseling for young parents during, during <laughs> <Right>. COVID. But <laughs> um, if you want to go there, I'm I'm happy to be on there. I'm yeah, sure I can yeah, maybe from we'll, that. Yeah, we'll see how this one goes and then decide if we want to add that. Or maybe we can edit out that whole section and <laughs> save, save it for, for a, a later promo time. for... Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I would love for you to talk a little bit about just the type of church that you're working at. Because I think that's the thing that I found interesting about this conversation was just born out of the type of church that you're working at. So maybe explain where you are. Yeah, this is always the most odd conversation to talk with production folks about because we are different but similar. So for for those who've never been to my church, which would be almost everyone listening, (laughs) we are we would call ourselves a liturgical church. Mm -hmm. And I think as I've been trying to unpack liturgical, there's just so many terms that go with church styles. And so I was always like, what's the difference between liturgical and traditional or contemporary? Where do those things fall together? And after just Mm -hmm. doing some thinking about it the past couple of days, I don't know that our church, we would refer to ourselves as traditional, even though we certainly have more classical music and our architecture is absolutely traditional. Mm -hmm. Um, But it made me start thinking, you know, there are even liturgical churches that I've met who are contemporary in style and worship style style and and the design of their, their gatherings. And so then I was like, all right, if it's a little bit different than style, then what is liturgical? And I think what I was getting to was liturgy and liturgical churches seem to be more about substance and maybe less about style. And so when I've been trying to explain it to friends, I've been coining the term liturgy being the engine that drives our worship gatherings. Okay. And so I think in our modern context, the desire to have liturgy and have these ancient things that we're reading that Christians have done and read together for you know hundreds or thousands of years 
has just a really high value. And so if you were to come to our church, you'd see liturgy in a couple different ways. Obviously, you'd hear a liturgy read, like a call and response where someone's, you know, saying in the beginning, people are responding. And that's usually a text from a book that Christians around the world are using. And so there's sure. that deep kind of connective layer to it. And then maybe the other way you would see the liturgical part would be in our service flow. So we've designed our service to flow in the narrative of the gospel. So we've got things like our welcome, praise and adoration, but then times of confession, baptism, you know, giving, generosity, proclamation, but then even response to that and then commission. And so really the liturgy at our church is this driving force behind how are we formed as people? And we use the liturgy to not just engage us to what God is doing in our lives, but how the work that God's doing in our own lives applies to our those who are together with us worshiping and then our region, our city, our world. Sure, those right. Kinds of things. Yeah. It's interesting because as I was thinking about our conversation today and even thinking about what is a liturgical church, it just dawned on me that every church I've been a part of has had some form of liturgy, but it, right. it's very, after hearing you talk about it, it's more like it's crafted for that unique congregation and it, there's very little connection to the outside world or what others are doing. You know, it's like we're figuring out the flow of our services and, you know, if you line them all up, they're basically, you know, it's the same form every week, but it's not uh, so much connected to what other churches are doing on the same day at the, you know, or from a common text or whatever. I think you bring up a good point too about liturgy just being a unique expression for each church. Because when I first learned what liturgy was, because I was like, what is, how is this different than just like what every church does? And I think to some degree, every church does have a liturgy. That might be, you do announcements, then you do three songs, then you have a sermon, and then you do right. two or three more. Like that might be your liturgy. And so I think keeping it vague enough for people to realize that everyone has a liturgy and then other folks have different emphases on their liturgy and ours just happens to be what might be more traditionally referred to as a liturgical thing because sure. we're using things like common prayer liturgies. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I think on the surface, you would never say, I'll just pull out, you know, some like Transformation Church in Tulsa. I don't think liturgy is the first thing that comes to your mind. Right. But, you know, I'm guessing they're doing similar things each week. Right. Or, you know, not that they're putting their pastor in a boat on stage every week, but it, that that fits inside of their liturgy, you know? Right. But I've never been to your church, but I understand Presbyterian, I grew up Presbyterian, yeah. so... Uh, you're at a Presbyterian church, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, you know, part of me, it's like, I get that. And just what does it mean to be a production person in that setting mm -hmm. when technology, when we look at Instagram and, you know, social media and we think of church production, we see a lot of dark rooms with haze and beams of light. Not so much what I'm imagining, you know, I'm, if I close my eyes, I'm, I'm in my either my grandparents' Presbyterian church and what that felt like or the one I grew up in, which, yeah, I'm like, I production just isn't a factor here, mm -hmm. which may or may not be the case now. I don't, I couldn't say, but yeah, just for you, what is it like to be in that setting and be responsible for technology there, which maybe isn't visibly at the same level as, right. you know, we, right. we see every weekend? Yeah, I definitely think that's been the challenge. And one of the words that always comes to mind is just unique. Um, mm -hmm. Because as we've grown into it and made our production technology more robust, 
we, you know, we're not on the same exact level as other folks, but we have multiple consoles, we have lots of inputs, we have comm systems, video systems, shading, switchers, routers, like we have the infrastructure that other places would, right. um, but a lot of ours is hidden. And sure. I think that has been the challenge in, in a couple ways. One of them is just simply recruitment for the same reason you're saying like, yeah, when you look at Instagram, you're like, I want to join the team that has, you know, there's 18 movers on that back truss with some haze next to some LED walls. You're not seeing that at our church and coming and saying, hey, I want to be a part of that. You might maybe sneak into the broadcast room and say, oh, you've got a broadcast console. That looks cool. I want to do that. So I think on the recruitment side, that's just one of those things that's a little bit harder. I think the other thing you run into in a context like ours where, where production is not meant to be seen is you get this weird, almost double standard of production of like, I want things to be perfect as evidenced by whenever a mic fails, like no matter where you are, if a mic fails, everyone's right, going to crane their right. neck and look at the sound. Like that's, yeah. that's how it works. And right. so it's, we don't want this to be a production, but also we do want this to be a production because we do not like it when mics fail. We do not like it when slides come too late, things like that. That, that part of production is everywhere. And so right. trying to, to, to be in that balance of like, you do want this and here's what it takes to do this. Like I'm not going to necessarily make it look like this. And so there's some fear in that, but it's like, I do need the infrastructure to accomplish and with excellence. But in that there's, you know, even fear that when you say, hey, we need this, they're immediately thinking, well, I don't want our church to look like Elevation. And it's like, I'm not saying we're going to look like Elevation. I mean, if you want some trust in some movers, like, we'll have that conversation for <laughs> Sign sure. Sign me up, right? But yeah. here's some, some fear as soon as you start saying like, well, we need this to be produced and to do this with a level of excellence and have mm -hmm. systems that are reliable and work well. There's just been a lot of growth that has had to take place as a culture. And really it's playing this long game of showing people, hey, we're going to make these upgrades, but that doesn't mean that we're like taking away the values of our church or that we're changing something that's not who we are. The key has been, how do we use production technology to support the values and who we are as a church? That's sure. really been the, the bread and butter of making this work. And it's interesting that you say that, uh, you know, that the technology is there to support the vision of our church. That's like a, that's something that exists everywhere. I think it's hard as tech people to really dial into that because, you know, a lot of times we see the cool things and, we you know, new gear coming out and really wanting to push things based on, you know, the technology we see and maybe getting upset that, you know, hey, our church just doesn't understand, you know, what we could be doing. But I think the building of trust required to, like, to not scare people into thinking you're just, yeah. you're in it for the gear or or whatever, but that, that your leadership really does know that, hey, I'm recommending this because I feel like it can help support the mission. And I'd be curious for you in your six years there, like, has that how has that journey been? Have you been fighting an uphill battle? Is it, yeah, just because technology and, you know, liturgy don't seem to naturally go together? Has that been a, a struggle? Yeah, just be curious, that side of things. It's always been intention for sure. I think that I've had enough trust with leadership and have been in the conversations. I, I think it's been helpful for me having a worship leading background, being able to speak and being part of our worship planning process, mm -hmm. being able to help support stuff well and being in on those conversations has been crucial for me. And so with leadership and with folks on staff, I don't think that's been a challenge for folks in the congregation. I think it's really just been, we need to move slowly so that people aren't being caught off guard and as things change, I've also, you know, even heard from coworkers, I've been casting vision for what I want the team to look like. You know, I don't want it to be one person doing everything by themselves, burning themselves out. I want us to have a healthy team. We're actively training up volunteers, sending people out, potentially getting people careers. I love that. And I was talking with one of our worship leaders somewhere in COVID, and he's just been 
really thrilled to see that vision come to life because he's mm. like, I know you've been talking for years about having this big team of doing stuff and we finally have a, thanks to COVID, in, in a weird <laughs> way to say thanks to COVID, that's been able to happen because we've just needed a bigger team with some of the improvements that we've made and upgrades we've done. He's like, it's great to see that come to fruition. Mm. And so I think I've been encouraged in the sense that I've had this vision, I feel like God's been moving us there, I feel like God's been providing for that, but now to see it come to fruition has been uh, really encouraging, right? Uh, but it was definitely a lot of just slow conversations and having to just continually recast vision with the reminder that this console doesn't mean that we're becoming this thing. We're just going to be who we are with a little bit better audio, and here's how we can do that, and here's how you'll see that and, sure. and experience that. Yeah, and for you, has it been challenging for you to you personally to see what? people are posting on Instagram and, you know, knowing that your church will never do that? Or do you feel like you're still pushing for some of those things against, you know, maybe the way the church is designed? Or I'd just be curious yeah. for you personally that what does that feel like? And is the the satisfaction of building a team, you know, sort of overcome, you know, lack of gear or lack of haze or, you know, whatever it is you're, yeah. you wish you could do? I. That has definitely been a challenge. I know in the past there were even times where I, before we had upgraded our video stuff, I was honestly embarrassed with what we were doing. My mm. philosophy has been like, hey, if we're going to do a live stream, let's do it really well. And we just had some really not great PTZs and it just, it worked for the 25 people that were watching at the time and that yeah. was fine. But I was honestly kind of embarrassed of it because mm -hmm. I think there were times where I'd step into production things feeling like I needed to prove myself. Okay. Because I think we're so used to saying like, this is what production looks like. And if that if your production doesn't look like this, then you're probably just not as good as production. Sure. And I think that's always been a challenge because I do pride myself on wanting to do excellence. I'm not out there mixing world tours, but I do think I am really good at that. And so finding a way to say like, how do I get my foot in the door with a lot of like big time production folks and say that like, hey, I just would love to be a seat at the table without always having to feel like I have to prove myself or like try to have like a flashy Instagram page. Like I think a lot of us feel the pressure to... Um, and I think overall, now that things have gotten better and we've gotten to do more and just had more um, with the past couple of years, being able to embrace some of the limitations has led to some really creative fun. And so mm. I think at first, you have to embrace the discouragement of like, I'd really love to do this. But then you start to think of like, all right, is that possible? Would that ever work? Maybe, but probably not. So, you know, you mm -hmm. know, everybody would love some LED walls. I'd love to make some cool designs in the back. And I'm like, LEDs walls aren't going to work. Is there something we could do that's similar that would really fit who we are? And so mm -hmm. then it comes back to my mind, like, you know what? I bet we could pull off environmental projection sometime. We've got these nice blank walls, this great like canvas of a ceiling. Right, Maybe sure. we can do something with that. And so I kind of like, I'll take an idea that I have that I'd love to do, and then I tweak it for who we are, and I kind of set it aside. Another good example is I have like a personal bucket list item that one day I will use a mover and haze in our sanctuary. <laughs> it probably won't be on a piece of trust like you'd expect to see a bunch of movers, <laughs> but I, there's got to be a way to do it. And I'm pretty sure we're going to treat it like an art installation where like we've had meditative times in the sanctuary. And I'm like, you know what would look great was that cross up there in the front. But instead of it just being by itself, what if we just put one mover, some beam fixture with a nice like broken up gobo, which right. is really subtle rotation and just a touch of haze so you can just see those beams slowly rotate around the cross. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm going to bucket list that. And one day I will show that you can <laughs> use haze and use movers in our context and it not be, and still be who we are and still fit. Sure, right. And right. so I think I've just gotten to the point of like, all right, I would love to do this, can't do it. What does that look like in our context? 
Right. Is that possible? Sure, yeah. And so trying to find those like creative elements to keep your to keep yourself motivated and encouraged. Right. I think it's hard to see how other churches have limitations when, you know, maybe you see their Instagram feed, but you know, we all have them and I I think yeah, it doesn't matter if you're a huge church or a small church, there are limitations and so I think I used to look at limitations as a limitation instead of like, this is an opportunity to think creatively about how could we do something right. or what do we have right now that could solve that problem or at least right. move us in the right direction. For all of us, anybody who's listening, you kind of have to embrace limitations as part of life and either rise to the occasion or just let it get you down all the time. For you, are, are you able to generally rise above your limitations and feel great about what you're doing? Or is it something that you just feel like you keep banging your head against? Probably some combination of both. It also feels like production sometimes is just banging your head against a wall. Just right, like, right. <laughs> trying to justify this or like, please stop breaking this. Please let me buy this so this will stop. Like, there's always right. a little bit of that. I, I think a couple of years ago, if you'd asked me this, I would have been a little bit more discouraged because I've been waiting. Like, I just like, when is this going to happen where I can do some of this? After the past few years, I just think I've been really encouraged by being able to start seeing some of that come to fruition uh, mm-hmm. and realizing that we actually can pull off some pretty good stuff in the yeah. midst of our contexts. We definitely still have some limitations, like lighting is very challenging in a room that has daylight windows in it. That's just sure. something that's going to always be there. But I do think I have been able to get to a place where I can see some of the work that I've done in the past, and that gives me the encouragement to keep moving forward. So while there are like some daunting tasks ahead of me, and I, there are definitely times where I'm like, Please don't look at our stream until like we have the new lighting installed in the new building and we've done construction. Like, please wait till then. But I know that there's stuff that I can look back on and be proud of, mm-hmm. even though there's still stuff that I would like to do in the future. And I think that has been a healthy place. But mm-hmm. I think for anyone who's maybe not in that spot, that can be really challenging because you may have a vision of something and you may be stuck beating your head against a wall to try to see that come to fruition. And I definitely think that is a challenge and I'm just grateful that I've had at least a little bit of moving forward to see some of the, the growth. And I think that sure. can be really hard before you've gotten to the growth period. Yeah. For sure. I mean, just hearing you talk about it, it definitely speaks to the importance of a long view. I mean, I think it's so easy to think about next week because it's right in your face, but to be able to think more about, okay, what can we be in five years and what do we need to do today right. to start moving in that direction? And I think then to look back and be able to see, oh, this is like, we can look at our live stream and this is like way better than a year ago. Instead of just looking at the failures of each week, which I think is so, or maybe failure is the wrong <laughs> right. word. You know, just the things that didn't go according to plan and, oh man, if we only had this, but to, yeah, to be able to look back and see, yeah, the benefits of thinking beyond tomorrow. Right. It reminds me of in one of the chapters in the book that you wrote is the chapter tenacity to lead, which has always resonated with me. I think Mm. that the word tenacity is just fantastic to describe the journey of a production artist, especially a leader. Just the perseverance, the endurance, and the tenacity it takes to just to have a vision and then to, to see it carried out or to just go through years of having like a broken piece of gear until you can get the fix. Like there is just... We work in an industry and we work in a context where we're always just having to persevere and have that endurance. Mm. And so I'm always encouraged by that of like knowing that's somewhat par for the course and treating that as like a, it doesn't mean something's wrong. It doesn't mean something that I'm failing or something like that. It's, this is something that's going to make you even better as an, an artist and a leader. And so there's some, hopefully some encouragement. And that's sure. at least something that I come back to often. It's just that idea of this is hard, but this 
difficulty leads to perseverance, it leads to endurance, it leads to that tenacity. Right, right. Yeah, I think the word tenacity, now that you're bringing it up and thinking about the book, each one of the areas that we're required to play in, which is like be very good at doing the basics well and have relationships to collaborate together and lead, you know, the, all those things take a level of tenacity that I think, I know for me, it just it didn't even dawn on me. Like it just, it's hard and, you know, just like, woe is me instead of, no, this right. is hard. And so let's dig in and keep doing the basics well. And, you know, the fact that how many times do I have to explain this concept to my senior pastor. Right. Again, the reason that we're where we are in our churches is because God designed us a certain way right. to think a certain way, to to respond a certain way. And yeah, our pastors, our worship leaders, the people who aren't us are designed to think and respond right. a different way. And so, yeah, the, the fact that uh, you have to keep explaining, like, this is why we can't do that over and over again right. is just, right. yeah, you have to be up for that because that's right. what it involves. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, why does it have to be so hard though? <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm always amazed by, whenever we talk about this stuff, I'm always just amazed by any production leader that I see in the church because it is such a broad skill set. I mean, how many mm -hmm. other people do you know? Uh, you can take them and ask, hey, there's a problem here. Can you fix the patching from the end of that guitar, through that cable, through that DI, through this other cable, through this, through a Dante network, from another console to another console, to an output of a thing? Also, can you troubleshoot that? And now can you come cast vision to your volunteer team and cast vision up to your, it's just a, right. it's such a huge <laughs> plate of things to do. And I think when we think about it that way, I just always find it remarkable that yeah. there are people who are thriving in ministry this way because it is such a crazy thing of just like, how can you go that deep and then also go that leadership wise? It's really a right, pretty right. incredible thing. Yeah, man, I think what, what, what we're being asked to do is nearly impossible, which I think in some ways is requires a level of reliance on Christ and who he's mm -hmm. really designed each of us to be. And knowing the fact that, you know, we're, we're not invincible, we can't do everything and that's okay. Even like, I probably still to some degree, I, I love it that I understand all those things that you just talked about, like that I can remember how this is routed or mm -hmm. that I can save the day in some, you know, what seems like a mystical way to normal people. And it's real right. easy for that to become who I am. Even just the idea of first in, last out, I'm like, I'm going to be first in and I'm not going to hold it over anybody, but I'm going to take a little bit of pride in the fact that I was the first one here. I'm going to be the last one to leave. And yeah. that's in, this is, a little bit how we end up twisting the thing that we're, you know, that God has designed us for, that mm -hmm. that yeah. instead of it being, it starts out as a beautiful thing and can easily turn into an ugly thing that I, I derive my, my, my identity from this thing that God mm -hmm. has made me to be instead of my identity is in Christ and this is just something right. that I do. Right. Yeah, I think just to your point of like, w there's so much that, is being required of us. It's in some ways superhuman. It's not normal people can't do all those things. And somehow we, yeah, God designed us to do them. And yeah. it's hard not to get too puffed up about it. Right, right. It's a very fine line of being healthy in that pride and being proud of what we've done versus wearing that chip on our shoulder kind of thing. 
It, yeah. can happen, it can change like multiple times a week even sometimes or meeting to meeting <laughs> half the time. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I've been thinking about as you've been talking is we haven't necessarily let everybody know like how big is your church? So we're talking about uh, traditional liturgical stained glass mm-hmm. windows, I'm guessing out, you know, very, no stained glass, have stained glass, which is just yeah, like is straight up surprising. windows. Yeah. There's somebody who wants to add stained glass and he wants to make it so that you can change the stained glass with like a flick of a button. It's... Cool sounding stuff, but no, we don't have any stained glass. Sure, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so we haven't necessarily talked about how large your church is or like, you know, just from a thinking about a budgetary standpoint, like, yeah, just how big is your congregation? And Yeah, we're right around the thousand mark for okay. a weekend, but our sanctuary only holds about 300. Okay. So it's a very odd like combination for how all of that works. So we've usually done three services. Now with COVID, things are still disjointed. So we've only got two. So yeah, it's interesting how the math adds up. The limitations of the room are very strange because the room is super small, but I would say we're right around that kind of like 1,000, 1,200 person church. Sure. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And are you in pews, that kind of thing still? We are. Not indeed. Still, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. User, man, they're a challenge. They're a weird thing. Right. Yeah, that's my least favorite thing to like change a light bulb or whatever, you know, when you're having to work around pews. Right. Thankfully, yeah. we have another team that helps with that, which I'm very yeah. grateful for. Perfect. So thinking about, you know, the size of your church and the, the more traditional liturgical style, I'm guessing there are a lot of people that are listening that fall into that category. You know, it's like mm-hmm. not a mega church, not very big budgets. They're the lone tech person leading a right. bunch of volunteers or trying to do it all themselves. Like what is something, so you're living in that space and I'll say thriving for the sake of our conversation. I don't know if that's true or not necessarily, but what is something that you would, like a word of encouragement or something to people that fall into a similar category for you? Like what would be a word of encouragement you would have for them? I think it'd probably be that even if you're not in a large mega church looking space, that doesn't disqualify you from being a production artist and a production leader mm-hmm. in the way that God's called you to be. So you may be facing budget challenges. You may be facing, almost definitely facing just like change and transformational issues because that's what we're always dealing with. But I think mm-hmm. knowing that, um, trying to take encouragement in the fact that God has put you where he's put you and that God has called you to do something and that you're unique in that opportunity, I think looking for the uniqueness in that and, and trying to discern, God, why have you called me to this people for this season that I'm in? And then what are you calling me to do? Because sometimes it could just be waiting. Sometimes it could just be the smiling face that does stuff really well in a season. I think just taking encouragement in that and knowing that you were just as much of a production artist and a production leader as any one of us. You may be experiencing way more challenges than we are and maybe even more you know restraints and limitations, but none of that disqualifies you from being a child of God and from being mm. a technical artist. So you're you're welcome as part of this community. You are no different than anyone who might have a bajillion dollar budget or 800 million people or the best <laughs> live stream in the world. Like you are, you have a seat at the table and you're one of us. Yeah, yeah. So good. As you were saying those words, the thing that I thought of is that excellence is a word that we can often associate with, you know, haze and light beams and big mixers and you know, huge PA and, you know, long box lenses on your cameras, which that's not untrue. But I think really that excellence is something that we all can achieve. It's something that was is within all of our grasp. It doesn't matter how big your church is, how small your church is, what country you're in, 
how much gear you have, how big your budget is. It's something that, I mean, I say this often that, you know, excellence is doing the best with what you have. And we all can do that. None of us have the same thing. While it's really easy to just try to compare ourselves with other, with what other people are doing, it's like, are you doing the best with the things you've been entrusted with? For those of you who are at smaller locations, uh, smaller budgets, smaller teams, you're called to the level of excellence that you're capable of as same, you know, the same way I am, same way you are. Just yeah. we have different stuff. And I think- right. When I was at Kensington Church in Michigan and I was coming to conferences at Willow Creek, I would, you know, I would be inspired for five seconds and then I would be depressed for the rest of the time because yeah. it's like, I can never do this. This is way outside of what is possible. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, just somewhere along the way, I was like, there has to be something for me to learn here. And it was like, all right, yeah. what do I have and how can I use it better? Right. And how can I build trust with my leadership it has nothing to do with, you know, do I have Axiant microphones or do I have right. wired 58s? You know, it's like right. it, I can build trust and I can do excellent work with either. And I think too, the, the parable of the talents, you know, Jesus talking about the overseer going away. And so I'm going to trust him with you with one talent, you with five, you with 10, you know, based on their abilities. And the thing that always strikes me is when the overseer comes back, you know, he's, he says, well done to the five and 10 talent people who doubled the, the money. Yeah. But the guy uh, who had one, he hit it. And what ends up happening, the overseer says, like, give me that one and I'm going to give it to the guy with 10. You know, just like even the little you do have, you're irresponsible with it. So I'm going to give it, you know, I'm going to give that to someone right. else. Um, and right. I think we're called to like, yeah, regardless of how many talents we have, we're called to use them responsibly. And, and and the, you know, if you're responsible with a little bit, you know, you'll see the trust build it with your leadership and, right. you know, be entrusted with more. I mean, I think your story, you sort of plop COVID in the middle of it, you know, it really uh, accelerated <laughs> right. things in your situation. But I think had you not been building trust, then I think your COVID story would be a lot different. Right, right. And I think to the encouragement and all that, especially with the parable of the talents, is that if you're in a spot like that and you truly believe God is calling you to be where you are, God is faithful to do that. And I think for mm -hmm. me years ago, I would have been really frustrated saying like, I want this, I know we could do this, I would love to build this system, it would be so robust, it would free us up to do more ministry, I'm not there yet. And then having been on the other side of that, it's like, man, God really is faithful mm. to when he gives you a vision for that and when he has called you to a place. I think there's so much rest and trust we can find in God knowing that if he's really called us to a thing, he's there to equip us to do it and mm -hmm. he's gonna be faithful. And we know that about who he is. Um, yeah. So I think hopefully you find a comfort in that if you are stuck in a spot where you're just waiting to see the fruition or see some fruit of your labor, just knowing that God is faithful. And I think that goes back to what you said earlier of keeping that long-term mindset and keeping some endurance and perseverance as we lead and work. Right. Yeah, so good. I wish it were easier, but uh, yeah, I don't think anybody ever promised us life would be easy. So, and right. I think too, when I think about my own journey and that long game, the perseverance, the building trust slowly over time, we needed to buy like a sound system for, I don't know, the, the children's program. And I think at the end of the day, it was going to be 10 grand, you know, like a couple of wireless mics and, you know, speakers it was all yeah. portable. And I had an elder sort of uh, responsible to work with me on it. That was my, 20, you know, early 20s. 
but I was like, I know what I'm doing here. And, but they're, you know, I got to get three bids and they don't trust me. And, you know, like nitpicking every line item. And I just remember the process being so horrible. And at the end of it, you know, they're like, yeah, okay, we're ready to pull that trigger. And then maybe three weeks later, we figured out we needed another one, like the exact same setup. We need one more of those. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like not looking forward to this. And the elder that was assigned to me, she was like, yep, okay. Yeah, no problem. Right. (laughs) It was like the easiest thing ever. And it was, yeah, so because those things were so close to each other, it just like hit me. Oh, that first one, they don't know me. And through that process, we got to know each other and trust each other. And this is what happens when you build trust that I don't want to say things got easier, but in that particular example, it's like the exact same thing was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is yeah. what this is how um, life works. Yeah, it was so yeah. so useful. So useful lesson to learn early. Yeah, yeah. Cool. This has been great. I mm-hmm. think we'll pick up another podcast about having a child in COVID. That'll be <laughs> in our our next round. Anyway, people can get in touch with you, or like if you want to show people your stream, give that web address out, <laughs> <laughs> or not. I'll leave it up to you. That, that sounds scary. I, I would. I'd probably point into some of our specials that we did at night that didn't have our weird daylight white balance <laughs> issues. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I could do that. People are happy to find me online. They can go to our website thirdrva.org. Um, they could mm-hmm. find that my email there and do it. Or I'd probably just say, what you should really do is come hang out in a cohort and join our Slack community, oh. and then we can hang out. That's the bread and butter. That's where I'd love oh. to see people. So if, oh, they, that's if cool. they want to come yeah. join a cohort and hang out with us, I think that'd be probably the best. Yeah, so maybe just to explain a little bit. So each cohort that gathers uh, for six weeks now, we're doing it. That group of people has a Slack channel that only they're a part of. So ask questions, pray for each other, there, yeah, there's something really wonderful about that small uh, yeah. group. But then you're also part of the larger, everybody who's been in a cohort is part of a larger group of just, hey, how do you handle this? And what do you do about that? And who has anybody ever used this thing? I'm struggling with this uh, problem. And right. what should I do? I mean, it's been so great. And I was actually somewhere along our conversation, I was thinking about the Slack channel. There was somebody in there that's really struggling with feeling like they're going backwards and right. as far as the church is asking them to go backwards and you just sort of jumped in and uh, have entered the conversation with that person, yeah, just to encourage them and offer suggestions. And, and I think to me, it's like, it's not about having answers. It's more about feeling understood as uh, the beauty of the Slack channel. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a safe, a safe space to be unfiltered with how right. you're feeling about yeah. working at your church. That's, uh, I, I highly recommend it. Really, yeah. really helpful place. Yeah. Well, I think we've all felt like our church is asking us to go backwards. Uh, so yeah, the, you're not alone there. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly at the time of this podcast when the next cohort will be starting, but if you can go to philo.org slash coaching, you can find out the information about the cohorts there. So yeah, one of my favorite things we do for sure. Yeah. That's cool. fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And yeah, we'll see you on that next podcast we're going to do. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here. Yep. I really loved when he talked about embracing limitations. For Alex, it might be about their style of service as a limitation or maybe the huge stained glass windows. Uh, For you, it might be something completely different, but the reality is that we all have limitations that we need to learn how to work with or around. And 
For me, limitations usually make me think a little bit harder about how to solve a problem, which then tends to lead to a better solution. And I really believe without limitations, it's easy to get lazy and just do the first thing you think of. And limitations, whether it's a budget or yeah, giant windows in your auditorium, whatever it is, I think spending some time to creatively problem solve is uh, making the ideas better for sure. The other thing you talked about was focusing on the long game. And I think this is so tough for all of us. Making changes and improvements just takes time and it can be easy to be discouraged by how slowly change happens. But you know, the idea is to look back over time every so often and just see where you've been to remember and to celebrate how far you've come. I think if we're just looking back a week or so, it's real easy just to get discouraged about maybe volunteers, you know, having to bail out at the last minute or, you know, these big ideas you have just not getting implemented fast enough. But when you look at over the course of time that, yeah, great things have been happening. So yeah, I just love that idea. If you're interested in hanging out with Alex some more, he is leading a cohort starting June 2nd. The cohorts are made up of 90-minute meetings for six weeks with up to 10 other technical artists who are serving in their local church, basically people facing similar challenges as you are. And it's really been a life-changing experience for me personally. It really helps to know that you're not alone in what you do. There are people out there who get it, who get you, who understand what you're going through. I would encourage you to consider joining one of four actually new cohorts that are starting up soon. So I'm leading one, Alex is leading one, Wes Harris, another fellow TD, he's going to be leading one. And Aubrey Wentz, who you know from, we've had her on this podcast and you know her from co-hosting the Philo Conference. She's leading an all-female cohort, which is like one of my favorite things ever. So you can go to philo.org slash coaching to learn more about what cohorts are available and you can sign up there. Also, don't forget, you can get in-conference pricing for Philo 2023, which is on May 2nd and 3rd in 2023. If you sign up through May 31st at philo.org slash events, you get the best price available. So love to meet you there. You can stay current with everything happening Philo-wise. You can follow us on social media at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. And you can consider subscribing to our newsletter, which is to be found at philo.org or in the show notes. And you can also subscribe to this podcast just to stay in touch with what is going on in Philo land. Anyway, it's been great to be with you again and see you later. Thank you.